I love this series. This has been really cool. And if you haven't been with us, one of the things that we've been doing is we've sort of just been walking slowly through these seasons in the church year. So, you know, we started really in Advent, which helped us prepare and process and, and get our hearts ready for the Christmas celebration. We, we really talked about a lot of ways of just taking our time through that and not rushing into Christmas, but taking our time to understand the expectation and the hope that you see in that Advent season as people waited for the birth of the Messiah. And it helped us get to this place then at Christmas where we can really lean into the celebration of Christmas. So we don't rush to it, but we understand and see that hope and that expectation. And I think Advent is a great way to help us to, to get into that sort of mindset. Because sometimes I think in life, we sort of just rush through everything. We're on to the next thing. We're on to the next moment. We're on to the next piece. And the, getting these seasons like Advent, it helps us to slow down it helps us to not rush into it. It helps us to wrestle with what we see in the scriptures of these people and their expectation of their hope for the Messiah. And then when we get to Christmas, then we're able to enter this time of really celebrating. Well, what does this mean that the Messiah, the, the, expected, the, the expectation and the hope of the Messiah, what, what does it mean that he, we see him born as a baby? We see him born in Bethlehem. We see this story sort of take place. And so then we enter that time of Christmas where we have those couple of weeks to really reflect on that, to not just move on. Like we talked about here that one of the things we're trying to learn is to not just like take down our decorations, not just to move on, not just get into the, the next sermon series, not get into the next thing, but to slow down and ask really good questions. And those questions that we've been thinking about and processing over the last couple of weeks are, well, what does it mean? What, 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 what does this mean? What, 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 is, what does this have to do with anything? What, what does it mean that this, that this Messiah is born as a baby? What does it mean that he has, is born to marriage? What, what does this mean? And how, how do we understand that? And so when we wrestle with those really good questions, we find ourselves taking away uh, so many different kinds of answers than just the surface level that we're used to. And so then we walked from there into this epiphany series. And in epiphany, we begin to talk about, well, who is Jesus? And what did Jesus come to do? And, and I love it because when we're not in a hurry, when we stop and actually get to talk about the story, we are hit with so many different pieces, I think, that are a huge part of us understanding what does it mean to have faith in Jesus. Right away, we see in this story that this story is a story for everyone that this is a story for all people. I love that right away we get into this and we in the beginning of our year are reminded that it is good news for anyone because it is good news for everyone. And like we can't even begin, like I talked about the love of God being so expansive. I don't think we can begin to understand the, the limitlessness of God's invitation, his love for all people that says, come, Come and follow in that invitation. Again, as we're reminded, we, see, we looked at the story of the Magi, these people from, that, that didn't belong in the story, that come sort of out of nowhere, that come and worship. They're invited to worship just who they are. And is that reminder, this is good news for everyone. I just, I love being hit with that at the beginning of the year, being reminded of that, taking that with us as we go forward. So that, what ends up happening is that ends up becoming sort of this foundation for all of these other stories. Because from here on, we walk with that as the foundation of the understanding of what's taking place. 
from now on, we understand that the good news is for all people. It is for everyone. And if that's the foundation that we begin to work with, we understand these stories in such a different light. It puts a different reflection upon them. It helps us to process and see, okay, so who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And the first place we stop is he came for everyone. And his message of salvation is for all people. Let us let that sit as our foundation. And so then we began to get into the stories of Jesus. We began to talk about how he invited his followers. Last week, we read a story um, that, that was challenging for us, that made us ask all sorts of questions. And we're going to continue that today because what I love about the scriptures is that sometimes what we tend to do is we take this story, we take, we take the hope, we take the expectations, we take the Christmas season, we take all of that and we sort of gloss it over. We make it some sort of just nice story. We just sort of say, oh, this is nice. It's wrapped up in a bow. It's all set for you. Here you go. Here's the Christmas story. Here's the story of Jesus. Let's run with this. You know, and then we sort of get on in the season. We get into Lent. We get into Easter. We get into the death of Jesus. We end up having to ask all sorts of questions. Well, what is going on now? Why is this happening? We get to the resurrection and we sort of, again, we take it, we wrap it up and we say, oh, here's a nice, pretty story. And we, we just kind of take off the rough edges. We take off the questions. But that, that is where the story comes alive. Digging into that stuff. That's why I want to slow down the story and not be like all of a sudden, oh, Christmas and Easter, they sort of sit as these moments that just kind of sit in the church year. No, they are these mountains in between these valleys of hard questions that help us to explore our faith and come to these places in such a different way that as we get out of that journey, then hopefully in our lives, we have become changed people as a result of entering into that story. I mean, that's the point, right? The point is transformation that takes place in our lives because we have accepted the invitation to walk in this story and to be a part of that and to look around and say, well, what does this all mean and where is this going? Walking alongside other people who are asking similar questions. So we continue this, this journey through this series then of Epiphany. Who is Jesus? What has Jesus come to do? What is all of this about? This year, as a part of this, um, with churches all around the world, we're, we're looking at these questions through the lens of the book of Mark. And I think Mark is a really fascinating book. Um, Mark tells the story of Jesus in a very short, almost succinct way. He, he, he writes it in such a way, I, I think it almost makes a great movie because there's not a whole lot of boring setup. He just goes for it. He just goes in and then he's like, story, 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 story. And you don't really have time to catch your breath. You're kind of just sitting back going, Mark, slow down. And he's just hitting story after story after story. And you're, you just kind of are left with all of these questions. And when he does it, he does it in such a way that he hits these stories and he hits us with stuff that sort of make us back up a little bit. And we have to stop and go, oh, I didn't, wasn't expecting that. Where'd that come from? We go, Okay, can I take a minute? And he's like, no, we're just going to move on. And so today what I want us to do is reread this story. We're going we're gonna to read this passage in Mark. Uh, we're going to back up a little bit. And I want to see kind of how this fits in the context because it's going to have us ask some really interesting questions, uh, some of the same questions that we asked last week. But I think as we, as we sort of just um, lean into it a little bit and just, just explore it a little bit, I think we're going to find something really cool that we can take away from what's happening here. So listen to this. I, I just love this story. It says this, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home 
of Simon and Andrew. Okay, so let's pause. Uh, One of the things that we've learned around here to do is that when we read a passage, we should right away start asking all kinds of questions, right? So the first question that I always want to ask myself is, as soon as they left the synagogue, and I should say, what synagogue? Right? I mean, let's not assume we know the answer to this. What, what synagogue? And then we go on and we go, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. James and John, who? Simon and Andrew, what are we talking about? Why, why are they leaving a synagogue? Why are they going to their house? And if you think, okay, so those are great questions to ask. The good thing is that that sort of opens it up for us a little bit. Those are sort of just the, the pre-questions to get us ready for the big ones that are about to come. Because I told you I love this passage, but also when I opened this passage on my computer this week and looked at it, I said, oh, not again. I, I don't know that I want another story like this. Can I get something just simple and just a little bit challenging that, that doesn't have all this, this stuff in it that we have to explain and try to understand? No, the lectionary tells me, no, you're going you're gonna to preach on this story. This is the story you get. But listen what happens now. They leave this synagogue. We're going to come back to that. They, they come to the, to, with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And this is what it tells them. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and all the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, if you were here with us last week, if you listened to the sermon podcast from last week, you might remember that we read the verses that came right before the story, and they they told us what happened at this synagogue that they had just left that is referenced in this passage. And the reason I think that Mark is telling us about the synagogue is as he's moving really fast through the story, he still wants to connect to what is happening before us. So he's sort of like telling this story in a way of like, okay, so then they got in the car and then this happened, which caused them to ride the bus and the bus took them over to this place. And it's so you can sort of understand what's happening and you can kind of frame your questions within those. And then if we go back, what happens then is, He's saying, okay, I'm going to tell you about something that's taking place, but he doesn't want it to stand alone in such a way that we don't understand it. He's saying, you're going to understand what's happening here because you've already wrestled with what was happening before it. Or if you didn't wrestle with that, let's go back and let's explore what's happening in that moment. So this helps us then make sense of what's going on with these fevers? What, what are we ta- why are we talking about healings? Wait, wait, wait. And then we ask, are we dealing with demon possession here? Are we really going to deal with exorcisms again? We need to be reminded of what happened in that synagogue because it's going to help us understand what's happening here. And then we begin to understand why is all of this connected and why is Mark telling us the story? Now, let me get something out of the way this morning. For some people in this room... You might be really familiar with the scriptures. Words like miracles and spirits and demons don't really surprise you. They just sort of go, oh, that's church stuff. I get that. For others here today, these words lead to all kinds of questions, leads to all kinds of tension. But I'm going to share this idea that I shared last week. When we come to a text like this, 
Something good happens when we lean into, not away from the tension that comes when we're trying to reconcile these ancient words with our modern world. Now listen, some of us don't have a problem with this. We grew up in a place where we didn't ask a lot of questions. We haven't gotten to that place yet, and so these just sort of float off of us. But for other people, and I'm going to include myself in this, when I come to passages like this, I go, why are we talking about demon possession? What's happening here? What's going on? Why are we talking about this fever taking place? Why is Simon still living with his mother-in-law? What is happening there? That's a joke. We invite her back in. What's he doing? Does he know better? So we see this passage. Man, you guys are just really tired today. Or so, I mean, gosh, or it's a really bad joke. I don't know either way, but that's fine. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. But this is, there's something that happens though, because look, it's okay. If you're like demon possession again, you can just lean with me here. Let, let's ask some good questions. Why is Mark telling us about that? Why is it happening? I just think in that tension, we come up with good questions, tools that help us understand what we're reading. They end up leading us to what I like to call questions behind questions. So we end up with, okay, why is that happening? Well, you're asking why is that happening because there's a question behind that. Why is Mark telling us about this happening? What What is going on? What's the question behind the question? What's the deeper context of the story? And how do we discover how this ancient scripture can impact our modern faith today? Now, before we go back to that, we need to go back one more step in this key passage, because here's the deal. It informs everything that is going on here. So see, what ends up happening a lot of the time is we take a passage like this. We sort of pick it up, we kind of act like we can like, take it like a piece of Lego and just sort of pull it out of the hole. And I mean, have you ever had, like a, have you ever had a Lego fall apart? You ever had a kid, like they build a great Lego, it crashes to the ground, and, you're like, and they're like, oh, they're crying, they're screaming, they're like, put it back together, I don't know what to do. Maggie did this to me last week. She had this dragon she built. It had fallen apart at grandma's. I come in, she's like, daddy, before you leave, I want you to figure out what's going on with this thing. I'm like, I just want to go back and watch football, like, I don't want to have to fix this thing. So I'm like, fine, I'll fix it. So I pick it up and I'm like, man, I have no idea how this goes back together. Like, I know it does. Like, I can sort of see, right? And then you start to put it together and it makes no sense. And you're like, why is the tail coming out of its mouth? Well, I, that was not supposed, so you're flipping it over, you're trying it. And then you're like, well, I'll just, I'll just break the whole thing apart. Well, see, what we end up doing is we do the same thing in the Bible. We sort of pull these passages out and then we kind of go, okay, I think this sort of fits in this way somehow and it doesn't make any sense, well, that's not how the Bible was written. I mean, the Bible wasn't written with verses and chapters and things that you could just pull out and, and, and put on a nice poster that you stick in your bathroom. It wasn't written like that. It was written as one big, long story. But we don't typically, when we gather at church together, sit and read like all of the book of Mark. We don't usually sit and read all of a, of a letter of Paul. We take these little bits. So we need to understand why is he talking about what he's talking about? Otherwise, it just gets confusing and weird and doesn't make sense at all. So Mark does this for us. He starts in Mark chapter 1 with this awesome passage. He says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. 
Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, once they left their nets, they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And I just love these stories. So here's these fishermen, Mark is like doing the things that fishermen are supposed to do. They're fishing with their, with, 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 um, with, with, what's his name? Excuse me. Their father Zebedee had to, you don't say that name a lot, right? They're with James, son of Zebedee, his brother, John in a boat. So here are these two brothers, right? And then Jesus comes by and he's like, hey, fisher guys that are doing fisher things, why don't you drop all of that? Come and follow me. I'm going to make you fisher of men, whatever that means, but just come with me. And they're like, okay. And Zebedee's like, what are you doing? Like, did you just walk off the job? And I just love this. Like, they just go. They just walk and they just leave. And the question that we ask is, well, why would they do that? Why would they just walk off the job? Nobody does that unless they're really upset. They seem like they've got a good relationship with their boss. This seems okay. Why are they leaving? But there's a movement that we begin to see to take place. And this is what I want us to see today. I want us to see movements that are happening in the lives of these four guys, because this is what we're going to learn from today. See, when we go back to our story that we read at the very beginning, we saw these names. We saw Simon, we saw Andrew, we saw James, we saw John. These four people who in this chapter, basically in this one day, this is one day in the life of Jesus, hear what Jesus has to say, drop their nets, follow him. And here's the cool thing. They have no idea what's coming. They have no idea what is happening in front of them, but they are intrigued so much by the message of Jesus that they're willing to drop everything and follow him and and find out where this story is going to go. Why is it so compelling? What is so compelling about it? Now, we asked this in the first week of the series, but we're going to look at it again. Listen what it says. It talks about that he said, come and follow me. But he said, come and follow me. And he talked about that, come and follow me because I am going to show you what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Remember, this was his message. Jesus looked at him. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Follow me. Come and see what's happening. This is his message. He walks into this village, walking around, yelling this out. You know, I just sort of imagine this scene of him just saying, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. The kingdom of God is near comes by this boat and they're fishing. They hear this guy talking about the kingdom of God is near, repent. And he looks at them and he says, now come, come and follow, follow me. Something about those three words, the kingdom of God, were so compelling. They couldn't do anything but follow. And then this is so cool. From there, Mark takes us on a journey with these four followers of Jesus He shows them how would he share this good news of the kingdom of God. And then he answers, what is that? What is the kingdom of God about? Why are they so intrigued by it? And it's sort of like Jesus says, come and follow me. And I'm going to do things and show you what the kingdom of God is going to look like. So this is really cool. This is like a journey of exploration for them. This is like a journey of Jesus sort of taking these moments, pulling back the curtain and saying, guys, remember I told you? that the kingdom of God is near? Hey, come look. Here it is. Then Mark moves on to the next scene. He pulls the curtain back and he's like, come and see it. 
I mean, this is so cool. Like, it just sort of makes me think about um, the musicals and plays that some of our kids have been in. Like, you know, they close the curtain, and you're sort of like, I don't know what's coming next, right? And you hear all this noise and all these people doing all this stuff, right? Like, you imagine the crew people running back and forth, and they're changing all the scene. They open the curtain, and you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Do you ever have those moments? Have you ever been in, like, a musical or a play of some kind? They pull back the curtain, you go, whoa, that's kind of cool. How'd they do that? And that's, I think that's what's happening here. I think that these are these moments of sort of like, and this awe of like, oh, I just got a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And then Mark's like, all right, keep going. <laughs> and Mark runs off to the next story. He's like, Wah. he's like, here's the kingdom of God. And they're like, wow. And so we get in this story to join them in that. But what's amazing about it is we realize right away that they find themselves by all kinds of perplexing situations, unbelievable miracles, confrontations that teach us what this kingdom of God is all about. And that's why these stories are so weird. They're not pedestrian stories. They're not just Jesus walking around Galilee and teaching and saying, well, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. He does that in other places. Here he's like, come see what the kingdom of God is about. And he's like, I'm gonna show you what the kingdom of God is about. And the kingdom of God is so powerful and so different and transforms this world in such an incredible way that you can't help but go, man, that's crazy. That is weird. What is happening here? This connects to us in different ways because we should be looking at the way that God is at work in this world through us, through our kids, through the church, through, through people being transformed by Jesus that we pull the curtain back and everybody goes, man, wow, that is different. That is incredible. I don't want people to look at the church and be like, oh, cool. That's neat. Wow, you guys are awesome. It, it, cool. Or wow, that's boring or gross or not very inviting. No, She'd be like, why don't I want to be a part of that? I want to get in. I want to be a part of what's happening there. That's what's going on. All right, so let's go on. Let's, let's see what happens here. Because we, we've got the first movement. So keep, keep in your head this with me. I want you to sort of imagine we're traveling this journey. So we have the first movement. And the first movement is these four guys going, here are my nets, drop them, I'm following. And now we get to the second movement. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So scene, scene two, second movement of the story is into the synagogue where an unexpected thing happens. Rather than a simple service of worship and teaching, a disturbing scene broke out where Jesus is confronted by what Mark calls an impure spirit. And this is what it says. You might remember this from last week. But then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I'm not gonna get too far into it. You listened to last week, but we should be asking questions. Was this man hanging out in the synagogue all the time? Were they like, oh, that's impure spirit guy. Like, does he wear a t-shirt? Does he have to sit on the back row? How does this work? I don't really understand. They just sort of, he was just the impure spirit guy. And all of a sudden he confronts Jesus and he stands up in this nice, beautiful time of worship. And he's like, who are you? Who do you think you are? Are you, are you, have you come to destroy us? Which again should make us go, what is happening here? What is going on? Jesus responded, most simple way. He says, be quiet, shut up, stop talking. 
Then he says this, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed. They asked each other, what is this? Some kind of new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey. News about him obviously spread quickly over the whole region. Now, what's crazy about this is before we can even get a breath, before we can even process. Now we processed it last week because we have the benefit of doing that. But if you're hearing the story for the first time, if somebody's sitting at a fire orally explaining this story to you, or if you go into church and they're just reading the story of Mark out loud, you don't have time to process. You don't have time to breathe. He just moves on to the next passage. So Mark, what he does is he puts the questions in the mouth of the chorus of the synagogue attendees. So again, it's kind of like a play. You sort of have like the ensemble back here of all the people who are watching this take place. And they're the ones who go, what just happened? What is going on here? Who is this man? Right? Like you're asking all of these questions just like that. One of you stands up, Justin's back there and he goes, was that an exorcism? <laughs> You're like, yes, it was. Still stunned by the plethora of questions that we should be asking, Mark shifts the scene again, and we get a third movement now. So look again, follow me. First movement, at work, hanging out with Zebedee, drop my nets, I'll just go to church with Jesus. Everything should be cool there. Holy crap, what just happened? Moving on to the next scene, let's go to somebody's house. It should be calm there. It's supposed to be a nice after church dinner. Nothing crazy is gonna happen there, right? Of course not. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her. She began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and all the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons. It's so strange, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So, man, Mark doesn't allow us much time to process this impure spirit. This exorcism, we all should be going, what just happened? And then he just goes into it. He throws in healings. He throws in demon possession. If you're reading this for the first time, or if maybe you're reading it the first time with a little bit more of a critical question about it, your head is dizzy with questions. You're shocked by the reality of what's taking place. What is all of this about? Why, why is Mark telling us about impure spirits, healings, demon possessions? And you have to think that the four guys are asking the same thing, right? Like they're walking through this and they're like, sure, let's follow Jesus. They walk into the synagogue and then they look around and they go, what is happening? What, what did we just see? Let's go home and have a nice dinner. This Jesus is amazing. Let's introduce her to your mother-in-law. And Oh, well, she's sick. Well, then we, he definitely needs to meet her. Because I, I, I think he's got some kind of authority. I think he's got power. I, 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 what I just saw, let's, let's bring that into the house and see what takes place. The miraculous happens there. She's healed. She's restored. This passage is uncomfortable because they're like, oh, and she goes back to waiting on them. She gets the food ready. And some of us are like, that seems inappropriate. Should she maybe go rest a little bit? The language there is really about restoration. She's restored to exactly who she is. 
It's really a cool idea here. But all of this has to do, again, with that invitation that we saw. This invitation that the four men received to come and see the kingdom of God. Come and see the kingdom of God full of redemption, full of rescue, full of, and now that we understand the story about her, full of restoration. This is a kingdom of redemption, rescue, and restoration. And what Mark does in the language of the ancient world is he frames this story of rescue and redemption and restoration through the lens of the ancient world, through things like impure spirits, miraculous healings, rescue from demonic possession. Now, we could talk about all those kind of things. We could go into a Bible study about what are those pieces about. That'd be great. I think that's an awesome thing to do. But we first need to ask this. What does it mean? What, what, is it, what does it mean? The whole town gathered at the door. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, now listen. I think this is so important for us to see. Mark isn't answering the same questions that we're asking as much as he's asking the questions that the people in the first century were asking. So these four men hear Jesus say, come and follow me. And I think the question is, well, why should we come and follow you? What are you doing that's so powerful, that's so different? Why should we drop everything and put our hope and our faith and our trust in you? How do we know that following Jesus is the right choice? Why should I follow him? Why is it worth giving my life, my calling, everything to the Lord? And as we look at these stories we find in Scripture, how those stories were explained in the ancient world, I think that begins to give some answers to us. See, first of all, we have to look at, and now we're going to get into this a little bit. Why, why is he telling us about demon possession? I, I mean, it's sort of like Mark went the extra level on this. He's sort of like, well, you thought an exorcist was crazy. Let me throw in the word demon for you, and we're going to make it even more crazy. We ask, well, why? Why are you talking about that? What is happening in this moment? Well, if we ask, well, why would, why would Mark in the ancient world, the ancient scriptures, talk about demons? Well, when we ask that, we discover that the demonic describes for people how things got messed and so out of whack in this world. So let's back up to, I'm not, we're not going to take a, we're going to take a, a kind of a flying approach to this, but in Genesis, we have God creating the world. We have this idea of these people saying, well, there is this God. He creates the world and the world is good. The world is exactly how God wants it to be. It is primed for human flourishing. He says, then things got messed up. They got out of whack. Everything got stupid and people stopped loving. They stopped living in a way that is in line with God's goodness and grace and mercy and love and all of these things that describe the perfection of what this world is supposed to look like. All of a sudden, we read all these stories in the Old Testament about people who are greedy. We read these stories about people who are murdering. We read all these stories about people who go to war because they can't stand the, the, the people who are on the other side of the border. They can't stand that there's other people that look different from them. Everything gets out of whack and the world gets stupid and messed up. And if we look to the ancient world, they're trying to understand this. They're trying to describe this. And as they describe it, they describe it as this idea that there is this demonic thing taking place. 
that people have aligned themselves. People have connected to this demonic reality that is completely out of whack with what God wants for this world. That's how Mark is describing it for the ancient people. So when they read this and they hear, well, Jesus confronts this, he confronts these demons in the world. What they hear is he is setting things the way that they're supposed to be. When he looks at the impure spirit, he says, this can't belong here because this doesn't belong to the kingdom of God anymore. This is out of joint, which what is taking place in this place. And everybody goes, sure, it happened in the synagogue. This seems like a holy place to have that happen. In the church, everything should be exactly how it's supposed to be, right? And he says, no, now follow me to the third act. Follow me as we go out into this home. And all of a sudden he says, now the town is gonna be invited all of these people, all everybody in this community. He says, I'm going to address all the out of sort things that don't fit in this world. And he begins to have the power to drive those demons away. The people of the ancient world would say that the impure, the unclean, the demonic things are at odds with what God wants for this world. Now, as we move in the story, we listen to the words of Jesus. We read what God is doing through the early church. We become more aware of what God wants for this world. And we begin to see that some of this language sort of shifts a little bit. Some of the language changes to things that we understand a little bit more. But I know with certainty that as I read that story, as I read the lens of Jesus, as I see what the church did in the ancient world, I know this. I can say with certainty now, that where there is hatred and bigotry, God wants to establish love and inclusion. I can see that where there is racism and prejudice, God wants to establish unity and harmony. Where there is injustice and greed, God wants to establish justice and equity. God is transforming this world from the out of, of, of sort way that it has become injustice and greed and racism and hatred and all of the stuff that does not connect to the human flourishing. And he says, I am going to drive the impure. I am going to drive the demonic away. All of that no longer belongs. Come and see the kingdom of God that is now in connection with the will of your heavenly father. This is incredible. The transformation of the kingdom of God is visible for them and it is just as visible for us if we would see it. And we see it as it begins in our own, own hearts. It is a miraculous thing when the power of Jesus transforms a person, isn't it? And I know that's possible. I have seen that in my own life. I have seen that in the lives of people around me. I have seen that in people in this church sitting in these chairs I have seen the power of God transform people. The world is and will be transformed by people who ask if Jesus is worth following and their answer becomes yes. And as you experience then, this fourth shift is gonna take place. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. So all these people come to the house. They're all getting healed He's saying, this doesn't belong here, and this doesn't belong here. This isn't a part of what God is doing. All of this is something incredible is taking place. Can you imagine the celebration? Do you think they partied all night? Do you think they celebrated in the streets, and they were down like in their square, and they're like, yes, like it's happening right here. Jesus goes to bed. I think they're all just so excited, so much partying, that they don't even see him leave. 
It says, very in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. I mean, these four fishermen are blown away. They couldn't believe what they'd seen. The world was being changed. An entire village had experienced. The curtain had pulled back. It had stayed pulled back. And they saw what the kingdom of God was like. I just have to think, guys, as they're experiencing this, if we understand that we are supposed to see what the kingdom of God should look like, it's in his grace and it's his love and it's his mercy, it's his justice coming alive in this world. I have to think that the same thing happened in that village in that moment. I have to think that there were people who went into each other's houses, looked at each other and said, I'm sorry, I forgive you. I think relationships are restored in those moments. I think people who owed big debts, people walked in and they were like, you know what? Take this mortgage. You don't owe it to me anymore. I think people were set free from all kinds of things because that was the message of Jesus. Everything had turned upside down. I have to imagine some rich guy walks in and he's like, I don't need this big house anymore. Your family takes it. I'll live in your place. I'm serious. Like, I have to think that that's why they're so excited. That's why they get up the next morning and they're like, Jesus, do more. Come do more of it. And these four fishermen are like, we'll go find him. We'll set it up right here. The kingdom will expand from this place. Yet Jesus had one more movement for them to experience. Jesus replied, nah, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I just love it. Nah, let's keep going. Well, you don't want us to stay? Don't we need to manage the good news? Don't we need to manage the kingdom of God in this place? No, it's going, it's flourishing. Come on, come watch it happen in other places. So in this chapter, I think what we see is, through a very ancient story, Mark teaches us to be on a journey. Mark is teaching us to, to, to accept these four movements of life. We choose to follow Jesus and leave behind what keeps us from fully committing to this new story. You got to drop your nets. You got to be able to let go and turn and say, I'm part of it. I'm going. We follow him. This is so cool. Then we follow him into community where we experience for the first time the miraculous story of the reality of Jesus showing who he is and what he is doing. We see what is happening in those moments. We see him go into the church and begin to transform and change things. And this community is restored. It's so incredible to see. And then we see him go into our homes and our neighborhoods We watch as we share Jesus with the people in our communities. We watch as those places that we're most connected to are transformed by God's love and his power. And then in that fourth movement, we're called to go with Jesus out into this world, into places where he still needs to go. And this is so cool because this is just the beginning. I mean that in the literal sense, because this is literally the first chapter of Mark. All of that just happened in Mark chapter one, and we have a whole bunch more to go. But we also have this we have just begun to explore who Jesus is. We have just begun to explore what Jesus is doing. We've just begun to explore what it means to follow Jesus. And what I mean is that this is just the beginning for you. It's just the beginning for our church. It's just the beginning for what God is doing in this world. So when you look at this world and you say, man, this place is still screwed up. 
When you look at this world and you look around and you say, I can't believe this is still like this. That's because God is still just beginning. Man, we are sitting in the first chapter and I am ready to follow. Drop, have him lead us where he's going. Take us into our communities. Take us out in this world to share the good news of Jesus. Inviting people to come and see. What am I supposed to invite people to? Come and see. Come and see how God can turn this world upside down. Come come and see, like, look, I'm still a work in progress, but come and see the way that he is at work in my life. Come and see what happens when a community of people so blown away by God's love share it with absolute reckless abandon. Man, like what could that world look like? And what if we've gotten so used to this story? So often we think that we're at the end of the story. All these people running around, Oh, things are so bad. We must be at the end. And what if we flipped that script? We became people of hope who said, no. (laughs) Look, you don't know our kids. You don't know what we've seen. I know, I think we're just at the beginning. I think God's doing some amazing things and I don't want to miss it. Let's go, let's come and see. God, we just thank you for these words of Mark. We thank you for the story. We thank you for how we've been able to wrestle through this passage over the past few weeks. But God, most of all, we thank you that we're able to dig into it, discover what does it mean for us? How does this change our lives? And I just hope from this that we ask, well, why are we following Jesus? And I hope that the answer is because I want to see. I want to see what he's doing. I want to see what is possible. God, help us to be people who in this story see the hope, the upside down reality, the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love that you poured out on us that you want to pour out onto this world. Help us to be people who bring good news, that kind of good news into this world. The kind of news that has the power to transform everything. I just don't think we can say it enough, God. Help us to be people of grace and mercy and love and justice. People who are following Jesus into the kingdom of God. It's your name that we pray today. Amen.